I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Strong coarse language and traces of nuts. FBI Radio recommends ready? listening by an immature audience. Tonight, the Queensland government makes daylight savings more comfortable by winding the clocks back to 1950. And Bran refuses to blame alcohol for his marriage breakup, instead blames a combination of drinking alcohol and being a dickhead. And Tim Burrows from the media website Mumbrella gives his verdict on the new Woolworth slogan, the fresh food people that are also the largest owners of pokey machines in Australia. It's long, but catchy. That's all on tonight's Irrational Fear! Excellent. Now, welcome to Irrational Fear number four. This is the show that tells you just how scared of the world you should be. My name is Dan Illick, and on the program tonight, we have some of Australia's best smart asses commenting on the world's biggest dumb asses. I know what you're thinking, ass to ass, very audacious radio. Let's meet some of those asses right now, starting off with Toby Halligan. Toby, what will you be revealing to us tonight? I'll be revealing tonight that the court's not just seven pretty faces and 14 great legs. Thank you very much. Now, if you read The Economist, you'll find that Australia is pretty much regarded as one of the best countries in the world right now. So, Matt Okine, what are we complaining about? Well, I didn't really realise we had anything to complain about until I talked to my cleaner. And so... (laughs) Apparently we got things pretty good. (laughs) Jennifer Wong, you've crunched the numbers and you found out just who Australia is. Well, if you're talking about the census, Dan, it's actually the official name is the Hey, I Just Met You and This Is Crazy, but here's my number, so call me the 2011 Australian Census. Lewis Hobber and Chris Taylor, sports drinks, her own line of pearl necklaces. What is Black Caviar's future? Well, Dan, I hope Black Caviar has a future like Farlap. I want it to be poisoned, stuffed, and with her heart ripped out and put on display for our amusement. And I reckon whatever happens to Black Caviar, she'll always be the only national sporting hero in this country who, if you leave her alone in your apartment, will make a bigger mess than Grant Hackett. (laughs) Well done. And Matthew Keneally, you'll be getting sexy for no good reason. Right, Dan. The Lingerie Football League from America played two exhibition matches in Australia this month, and I was there via YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) 
But first, it's time for Hash Nuggets. Now, this is where we wade through through the online world of cesspool and social media to find some A-grade trolling or just some horrendous use of megabytes. Now, Lewis Hobber, I believe you've found something something rather special. Yes, Dan. Uh, bastion of sensible women's issues, Cosmo magazine, have come out with some pretty horrific sex tips over the years. But this week, the blog Jezebel kindly compiled the best ones into a handy compilation. And here are some of Cosmo's sexiest suggestions for women. This is you, Jen. Tip number 16. Oh, pardon me. It's not. I lie. Under the topic, things to do with your breasts, here's tip 16. Draw an attention-grabbing circle around your nipples using rhinestones and body glue for a special night in. Fair enough. There's nothing sexier than fusing nudity with arts and craft. That's why I watch The Rock of Stedford. Christopher Pine does that one after every question time. <laughs> Tip number 22 comes under the heading When Things Get Boring. Mix one tablespoon of saliva, the kind deep in your throat works best. Its viscosity makes it a good substitute for loo. With one tablespoon of water to stretch the spit. Personally, I like to imagine Matt Preston tasting this concoction. <laughs> And if, like me, most of your sexual fantasies involve Matt Preston eating, then try adding some sensual spice to your food dream with Cosmo Tip 37. Give him a beer facial. The combination of the egg white and the yeast in the hops hydrates and improves skin elasticity. But you can just tell him that your lips can't resist his delicious beer-flavoured face. When I read this, I thought, has Cosmo been reading my mind again? But there are sexier things than beer-flavoured faces. Dan Illick. Uh, yes, there are. We discovered this site today. Now, apparently it's an old site, but it just came to our attention. It's called Porn for the Blind. Basically, what happens is... Um, this allows users to upload a narration of a porn clip that they've discovered online uh, because apparently blind people can't get off to the sound of regular porn. They'd rather get off to the sound of this. Porn for the Blind presents Come Overload. This is a 53-second preview clip located at http slash slash uh, http colon slash slash www.comeoverload.com I think it's the colon that makes all the difference. slash preview slash two dot htm um, The site is... Is that Ira Glass? background. Now, if you, um, didn't, if you didn't have a boner before listening to a guy read out a web address... You must have one right now. Yeah, I'm thank sure God I'm don't. sitting down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. It's a .org-asm. Lewis Hover. Lewis Hover. But, you know, there are sexier things than people reading out URLs. And, uh, and this could be one of them. Here's some very clinical descriptions. Um, she's mostly focusing on the uh, head of the penis. Um, she's continuing to give uh, oral sex. Um, now she is giving a hand job in front of her face. Um, she has uh, recommenced the uh, the uh, oral sex. Um, she continues the oral sex. Isn't uh, this the Simpsons Black, character that kept dropping says, stuff in the burner? Like, ow! Hardcore cum shot movie site production. Join today and get daily updated movie content. Fantastic. Look, who, who needs Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> Look, you know what? Uh, people with disabilities. Oh, sorry, Matt. Pornography sounds really, really seedy when you read it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> 
people with disabilities surely need to get off, but uh, it's, there's nothing quite as sexy as this. I think it's kind of as sexy as a Stephen Hawking stripper game, quite frankly. Irrational fear, you've got a cough to get off. <laughs> Now, a few weeks ago, we wrote a series of jokes, uh, so we needed a special guest to introduce these particular jokes, um, except this special guest works on a very famous television show, and in order to get this special guest on the show, I had to email her boss, and I emailed her boss uh, for permission, and he said, uh, he sent the following email back. He said, hi, mate, I'm okay with this, as long as there is no slagging off the show or references to stories we've broadcast. So having said that, a Current Affair is a television show. Lots of people watch it. It's been going for 41 years and has had many hosts. One of those has been the super lovely Layla McKinnon, who is here to launch the brand new rebranded fictional Current Affairs show, A Current of Fairy Tales. Come on up here, we've got a special seat for you here. The housing affordability crisis, how it's driven one entire family to live in a shoe. And our hospitals failing our kids after falling down a hill. A brother and sister are forced to treat a head injury with vinegar and brown paper. <laughs> and it's a story no family of bears can afford to miss. Imagine returning home to discover your porridge eaten, your chairs sat in, and your beds slept in. This story is just right. All that and all the hot goss from The Voice on tonight's A Current of Fairy Tales. Ladies and gentlemen, Jen Wong. Alright guys, I'm not really one for statistics, alright? I'm not. And uh, a lot of people agree with that, right? Like the Australian Literacy Board says that like, literacy in Australia is so bad that 80% of people can't read the Australian Literacy Board website. Right. So like, literacy is so bad that they can't even find one person to fix their crappy website. Right. But this week, right, when the census came out, I was like, you know, I was really, really intrigued because, you know, I love languages, I'm interested in people's culture, right? And I heard that more people now speak Chinese than like any other language, right? I heard that and then I thought, oh, fear, right? It's going to be that whole Asianization of Australia thing again, right? And then I saw the statistics and then I was disappointed because it's not that bad and I'll never use those Pauline Hansen jokes again. <laughs> right, so, so what did I learn this week, right? This week I learned that um, the most spoken language apart from English which I'm not doing a very good job of, right? Like, I should just clarify, right? Like, when you listen to me speak, right, you know I'm not fresh off the boat, right? Like, you can tell, right? You can tell, right? Probably because of the complete lack of detention centre despair in my voice, right? But, like, like what I'm saying is, you know, when you hear that, you think, oh, my God, so many Asian people. And then you realise they're just saying it's, like, 1.6% of the population, right? And then it's 1.4% of the population for Italian, right? And then I get really confused because the census is saying, you know, we're speaking 300 different languages at home, right? But my family's only got, like, four people. Um, and that's actually not very funny. But that's all right. So what I actually thought, right, was all this stuff about um, the fear of the Chinese, right? It's not a good time to be a Chinese person, you know. We, we, we spend a lot of money in China. Um, Gina Reinhardt has a lot to thank China for, right? So, like, I was wondering if, the people that were on the boat 
the 70 people that were rescued, the 17 bodies that were recovered, like, if they were Chinese, like, would, would we let that happen and would that be okay? Like, would, would, would that be all right? And I'm thinking, no, right, because there's so many Chinese people here, they have so much of, like, our dollars invested. Um, so basically, I came up with a thing, right, because if Chinese is going to be the most spoken thing, I reckon we should all learn a bit, right? So here I've got, like, the three things that we need to learn to speak Chinese for. Okay, so the first one is just really basic. It's ni hao, xie xie, which is hello, Thank you. Right, so like you could do a lot with that. And then the next we go to um, which is, sorry, goodbye. And then like the third one is which is, excuse me, Gina, I would also like three seats. Um, right, so basically, basically I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, like, when racists now go and do their thing right after a census, right, it's a really interesting time because a racist can actually know that they have a one in four chance in Australia of speaking to someone who's actually um, from another country or their parents are from another country. But equally, what's not mentioned is that there is a one in four chance that someone from another country is a racist. And we never talk about that, right? I just want to relieve the weight on white people, right, <laughs> to know, right, that racists can be of any colour. Right, races can be of any colour, right? Like, think about this. If a racist eats a dim sim in a forest, <laughs> are they still a racist? More accurately, is he still a racist? Right, which is what you're assuming, right? But that's wrong. It could be a woman. Right. And you're probably thinking this person is Caucasian. I'm not sure from which part of Caucasia, but definitely Caucasian. But he is not. He is a Chinese woman because we can also be racist. I just think that's fair that we should all have the opportunity to be racist, right? Like a friend of mine said once, right? She's like, the problem with Muslims is, and I'm like, I don't think you can say that because nothing good happens to that. Like I'm sure she wasn't going to say, the problem with Muslims is, is there's so many of them, right? I don't think she was going to say that, but she was just, I was like, you can't say that. But then she finished her sentence. She, she said, the problem with Muslims is, is that some of them seem to want time off for Ramadan. Right? Could she swing a roster at work? So to her, it's just a puzzle, right? Now I thought about it because my mum, right? My mum got me a book, and it, she got me a book called Change Your Thinking, right? And I got her a book called Reevaluate Your Behaviour. And so, so I've been thinking. I've been thinking, right? The way to wrap this up is, right, to think about it in a different way, right? That friend's not being racist. It's just like saying the problem with Chinese people is that some of them seem to want time off for Chinese New Year. That's all right, right? The problem with Indian people is that some of them seem to want time off for Diwali. That's all right, right? And the problem with racists is that they don't have enough of their own festivals, right? So it's all, so it's all okay. And um, yeah, should I wrap it up, Dan? Should I wrap it up? Okay, I'll wrap it up. But I did my own census this week, guys. I did my own census. And my research shows that 98% of people think that if I was to write a rap song about the census, it should end with, so come to your census. <laughs> Jen Wong. <laughs> Chris Taylor, arguably the problem with the chaser is that they keep cancelling the shows they're meant to do. <laughs> arguably. Um, now, uh, the, the best part about that audience laughter is the only person laughing is Andy Neal, the producer, the producer of The Chaser. <laughs> I've never seen him laugh so loudly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, um, what questions, guys, uh, that, that are, haven't been asked on the census that you would like to see asked on the census? Uh, Matt Okine, what, what, what questions would you like to see? Uh, I was sort of liking the idea of finding out... I think there should be some mean questions as well. Like, if 
you know, what you don't like. Maybe races and stuff. <laughs> so actually, name just, the race, just to give that, an idea, you know what I mean. So I know what percentage of people to look out for. Yeah, right. You know. Right. So if I'm like in an area like this, I'll be like, far out. Five percent of these people hate half black people. <laughs> just to know, you know, you never know. Toby Halligan. Well, I think a polite way of doing that would be to ask, you know, like what kind of what ethnicity would you not date? Not in a racist way, of course, you know. <laughs> Virtually everyone on Grinder would say, you know, like most people. <laughs> I like Matt's idea. It'd be it'd just make it easier to design our migration program. Use <laughs> my preferences from Australians. We decided we want seventy-seven percent Kiwis the next five years. I'd I like think it. they've already got that ratio in Bondi. I think that's how that works. I'd like it if um, the census was treated more like a call-out on commercial radio, and then every question was just, "So, where's the weirdest place you've had sex?" <laughs> I reckon they should, they should just ask, have you ever watched Channel 10's breakfast show? <laughs> because they sure, know. we have the Oztam ratings. Oztam's saying 20,000 people are watching that. No one believes that. It's clearly lower than that, and we need a scientific system like the census to find out once and for all. <laughs> Excellent. Now, if you could collect one fact or one statistic from your life, what would it be, Toby Halligan? Um, well, I, I would love to know, I, I think... Stuff that I do in my sleep, but I can't really write that down. Like how many spiders I've eaten. Like it's meant to be seven oh, a day yeah. or seven a year. Yeah, I'd or, love to actually know that. Or I'd, I'd be interested to know just how many times I've put rhinestones around my nipples. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> a rational fear. Lost, Counting yeah. most Australians since 1967. <laughs> Of the 400,000 people who identified Bondi as their suburb of residence, 8% were Australians, 68% were New Zealanders, and 24% were relatives of Lara Bingle, who'd been shipped into the suburb to make her reality TV series slightly more interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Okine. Uh, thanks very much. I love Sydney. I love Sydney a lot. I just wish, I wish it could be a bit more expensive. Uh, $5 to use the road. Uh, that's just not enough, is it? $5. Are you serial, bro, to use the highway? I once spent $16 getting from the airport to Quakers Hill. $16 on tolls. I bought a $25 airfare once to Brisbane. $9 more. Yes, it was with Tiger. No, I didn't go anywhere because it got cancelled. But that's not the point, okay? This is ridiculous how much we're spending to live in the city, but we got it good, right? I went to Ghana recently because my dad is from there. And I, if I told someone there that I spent the equivalent of their weekly wage just so I didn't have to wait at traffic lights, I wouldn't be surprised if they just killed me then and there. Just slapped me in the face until the privilege oozed out of my lifeless body and onto their dirt footpath. Because make no mistake about it, we are some of the most privileged people in this country and it's disgusting. I spent the last year making jokes about how I wish I was rich enough to not care what colour the plates are on sushi train, right? Now, I was thinking... I was thinking about that goddamn joke while I was paying my own cousin $20 to drive me around for the whole day. Do you know how disgusting that is, right? And I didn't see anything wrong with it, right? My dad, right, okay, so, like, because, look, let's face it. We live in a world that's filled with magic, right? And this magic doesn't happen everywhere. I've got this thing at home that I call, like, this magic vanishy box, right? You guys probably call it a bin, Okay, but with my magic box thing, I put all my junk in it at the end of a week and I just pop it on the footpath and guess what happens the next day? Gone! 
It all just vanishes. I don't even know what happens to it afterwards, and I don't care because it always happens since the day I was born, and I assume it'll happen until the day I die, right? I got this thing in my apartment called a tap. I just twist it, and water comes gushing out of it, the second most important resource that we have on this earth. Clean, fresh drinking water, 300 litres of it a day, just out of there. And you know what I do with it? I clean the excess food off my plates, and I wash the Klingons off my asshole with it. No wonder the rest of the world hates us. We use like, So this is the thing, right? Remember the GFC? We haven't had it so tough since the GFC. Remember the GFC? Remember that? When, when your two friends lost their jobs, right? They're supposed to stop the world in their tracks, right? And your two rich financial friends didn't go to work for three weeks? Yeah. Oh, however did we get through that, right? Seriously. Oh, like, I mean, we're lucky to have a house on our heads. What with interest rates going up, every time that happens by 0.25%, there's an orchestra-filled story on a, one of our current affairs programs about the Aussie story of the battlers doing it hard, you know. There's always some couple, oh, oh you know, it'll probably mean we can't go to Bali this year. And, oh, oh, we might have to put the boys into a state school. Oh, no, not a state school. They might actually respect women. Right? <laughs> Yeah, when the 2012 budget came in, I had idiots on my Twitter piece going, oh, thanks to the government not caring about single people with regular incomes. I'm sorry, if you're a single person with a regular income, if you can't sustain yourself, you have a crack at it, like a habit, okay? You should stop spending money on drugs, right? If you don't have enough money to survive, you, like, here's the thing, you probably went to uni, okay? You probably went to uni at a hugely discounted fee from the government, the rest of which they loaned to you, right? And then they gave you the option of pocket money. At the same time, you also had a job, but you didn't tell them that because you wanted to cheat the system and now you want to complain because they don't do anything for you but when you break your arm you go to the hospital and walk out the next day with a cask and a cask and a couple of texters so that people can write funny little things on your cast right and then you complain to the council that it took you six hours while you were waiting in the waiting room my auntie broke her leg in africa and died okay that is not even a joke there was such poor health care right wherever she was that it got infected so much that she died and you're complaining because you had to sit in the waiting room with a hangover? Eat shit, okay? Eat shit, you privileged piece of crap. I don't care. But it's not just us. It's not just people like us. It's not all the good stuff as well. The government spends $10 million a year on keeping 40 prisoners in super maximum security prisons. $300,000 a year per prisoner. Ivan Milat went on a hunger strike because he wanted to protest about the poor quality of food in jail and they had to keep guards with an intravenous drip next to him in case he died. Here's the thing, why don't we just let him die? He killed seven people. How can people be starving all around the world and Ivan Milat still gets the choice between chicken or beef? No. There's something wrong in this country. Ladies and gentlemen, my name's Matt O'Kine. Thanks very much. Your fear is wrestling. Matt O'Kine! Do you think Australians can't see just how good we've got it, guys? Um, I mean, uh, what do you think, Jen Wong? Uh, 
I think we're pretty lucky. You think we're pretty lucky? <laughs> yeah, but I just say that because I don't want Gina to buy my ass. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, what about you, Layla? Then the media goes ad nauseum about the battlers, uh, the people doing it tough. Do we need new names for these people? I think we do. Oh, well, I'm very fond of the battlers. Are you? Yeah, yeah. we know. <laughs> it's a term that we use quite often and um, we've become quite attached to. But I think that it is... You really, don't say. It's really hard to see, you know, how good we've got things when... You know, I live in Dover Heights and... Sometimes we do it really tough because... <laughs> there's electricity storms oh, and uh, they knock out... Le- and there's no, so many neighbours from hell in Dover Heights. There are. <laughs> do you know some people... <laughs> the trouble with Dover Heights is people park their boats in the street. I hate that. Doesn't that kill you? It's really hard to when get Turnbull parked his boat. <laughs> We're doing it tough. We're doing it tough. <laughs> well, guys, what should Australians be complaining about? Matt Keneally? Well, I don't know what they should be complaining about. I don't know what they are complaining about. Um, I heard I was watching Q and A in Queensland when they. I think the first seven questions were about foreigners, <laughs> and they were complaining about aid going. And these are people making hundred grand a year and saying, "Oh, but we're doing it tough here." I just thought, man, this is Australia. We're the richest country in the world. Like I can picture Australians in heaven saying, "It's nice." But I expected more. (laughs) That seven-year-old Indonesian kid, he's got a cloud the same size as mine. He only worked for two years. I think think it comes down to expectations. (laughs) Too far, Matt Keneally, too far. It, it totally is about expectations. I mean, Ghana, like when I was there, the electricity went out for four days. And that was just a thing. That just happened. But that never happens to us. If that happened to us, we'd we'd lose it. We'd, We'd turn into wrecks. There'd be people going, I can't tweet about this. You know? uh, Twitter went down uh, last week. It was very sad for a lot of people. Um, now, The Economist wrote last year, they wrote in May 2011, that uh, they, they said they wrote this great article about Australia saying we're the next golden state and if, if only we just showed some leadership and understood that. And they said, instead of pointing out the great benefits of immigration, the two parties pander shamelessly to xenophobic fears about asylum seekers washing up in boats. And I guess the question is, when will Australia grow up, Lewis? Oh, it, it'll grow up at the same time as the rest of us, after it's 21st. Just get a couple of mates to get up and talk about how wasted Australia got. Boom, it's an adult. <laughs> a rational fear. For the sense of entitlement, you deserve. Australian Census 2012. When asked where they spent census night, 76% of Australians said they spent it at their own home. 24% said they spent it at a friend's house, and Craig Thompson said he refused to answer the questions unless he had a lawyer present. Tonight on A Current of Fairy Tales, big eyes, big teeth, marking her scent in the corners. Could your grandmother be a wolf? And the neighbours from hell. First they had a giant beanstalk blocking the view. Now their front yard is a dumping ground for decomposing dead giants. While the council refuses to act. And lowering your shopping bills this week on our new segment, Jesus Saves. The DIY winemaking tips using nothing but water. And how to make the ultimate farewell dinner for 12. And... And all the highlights from The Voice. That's next on A Current of Fairy Tales. Ladies and gentlemen, Toby Halligan. Hello. 
Hello, it's great to be here on FBI. Um, uh, I'm from Melbourne and we've obviously got Triple R down there. That's our kind of edgy network. I don't know who's edgy. We can have a vest off at some point or count up all the milk crates and work out who's really cooler. So what I want to talk about... What I want to talk about tonight is the High Court last week made a decision about the school chaplaincy program. I don't know whether you've heard about it, but in 2006, uh, school chaplains were introduced in about 1,000 schools. They get paid uh, 20 grand a, a year, basically, and the High Court's just kind of overruled it. Um, one of the first things that struck me is, as a comedian, I actually think my main ambition should be getting a great gag name and uh, appealing High Court constitutional decisions. I just think... <laughs> If you wanted to etch your name in the history books, it'd be great to be, you know, uh, the person who won the case like the Department of Immigration versus Decency, say, or, you know, the Attorney General v. Hope. Um, that was... Yeah, the... But um, uh, So a big part of the High Court decision was actually about the funding relationship between the, the states and the Commonwealth, which, to be fair, is a freaking hard uh, subject to make jokes about. But um, I wrote one for Oz Stereo, actually. It was actually... Um, this is for the Kyle and Jackie O show. Um... <clears throat> Hey, Jackie, do you know what vertical fiscal imbalance is like? No, Carl, what's it like? Wanking a dog. <laughs> have you ever wanked a dog? What do you have a view on GST allocations? Call the Carl and Jackie O Show now. <laughs> oh, get your dog on, right? So, look, the main kind of issue with this... <laughs> I'm so proud this is going out to thousands of people. The main issue with this whole kind of... Uh, with uh, tens of people, tens of, uh, it's FBI. It's FBI. To Let's my talk. my parent and five hipsters. Um, but but Kyle is listening and writing that down. That's a good idea for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I um so look the main issue here right is is that people are concerned with with um uh, religious figures uh, going into schools and, and interfering with their children, which is clearly absurd. I mean, when has that ever happened before? Right, uh, I. I, but, but look, I, I, I've got to say, I've got quite a personal perspective on this. Um, I, and I think people are exaggerating uh, a lot of the fears um, about the impact that chaplains uh, will have. Because I, I, like I think virtually everyone up here on the panel, went to a private school. I, um, I, I actually went to an Anglican school and, and we, we had a chaplain. And, um, and uh, it, it did me an enormous amount of good. I wouldn't be the gay atheist you see before you... <laughs> but for the impact of those experiences. Because I think that's what people have got to remember, that when it comes to marketing, Christianity is one of the worst organisations in the world, right? The main body that supported the chaplaincy program is the Australian Christian Lobby, right? That's uh, the, the, uh, they, they're the same group where, uh, as a gay man, I investigated their website. They've got a website that's designed to stop young men from falling into homosexuality. I love that phrase, like, gayness is a form of trap. You know, like there's a gay boy walking along and, oh, it's a gay pit, you know, like a... <laughs> except at the bottom, instead of being big spikes, there's big dicks or something. Like, I don't know, right? But on this website, they've got a lot of facts and figures on there, right, that, that are designed to stop young men from falling into homosexuality. Stuff like, you know, apparently gay men are twice as likely to smoke. I mean, it's not clear why. Christians aren't great at using facts, are they? You know, uh, uh, another one, apparently, we're three times as likely to be obese. Is the extra protein? I don't know. <laughs> They don't make it clear, right? But they've also got this fact on there, that 30% of gay men have had sex with more than a 1,000 people, right? Yeah, what the fuck, right? And the people at the ACL think that's going to stop people becoming gay. 
These people have no comprehension of marketing, folks. And I know that as well because these are the same guys behind the ex-gay movement, the movement that gets gay people, dresses them in gender-aware clothing, makes them do gender-appropriate activities, and at the end they're all supposed to not be gay. As you can imagine, what actually happens is the ex-gay movement helps gay Christians meet and fuck other gay Christians. <laughs> Which, as I think we can all agree, is what Jesus would have wanted. Right, so, so look, guys, but I think the real problem with this whole plan is that if you look at the state of Christianity today in Australia, you look at all the issues they care about, they're losing the battle massively. I mean, for fuck's sake, Sunrise supports gay marriage. Sunrise supports gay marriage. I mean, hey, if Rosa Parks can start a movement, why not them? You know what I'm saying? Like the boat is well and truly left. And frankly, if your kid's at a school hanging around someone who's paid $20,000 a year and in the face of being exposed to Facebook, Twitter, literature, violence and sex in movies, Xbox, all the porn out there in the world, in the face of all that, if someone who gets paid $20,000 a year is able to convert them to evangelical Christianity, then it's time to go back to the bedroom and try again. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm Toby Elliott. It's about wanting notoriety and, of course, getting it any which way you can. Uh, this is a pretty uh, incredible thing that, that, that happened with the High Court. It's really uh, put my nail in the coffin for my plans to introduce Sharia law into a state schools. Uh, incident, incidentally, only half of the people up here went to private schools. Um, but uh, what... Um, what other useless programs or what other useless federally, federally funded programs should the High Court, uh, should the High Court act? Tasmania. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a big one. That's one of the big ones on their list. Chris Taylor? Oh, look, I'm actually, uh, and this might surprise people, I'm actually in favour of the chaplaincy program. I think it's important that students have someone to talk to when they've been felt up by the school chaplain. <laughs> but I, I just think there needs to be more consistency. Like, if you're going to have a chaplain, I think we should also need communion wine in all schools to be accessed every hour of the day after every period so you can get pissed to survive your private school education. If we do have to get rid of a fud federally funded program though, Chris Taylor, I hope you don't maybe rambling. <laughs> They've been trying for years. They're nudging it down the, the, the schedule. <laughs> Where are you now? 3am on a Sunday? <laughs> but repeat it around the clock. <laughs> Now, in Queensland, the LNP government plans to stop single people and same-sex couples and couples who have lived together for less than two years from having a child through surrogacy. LNP activist and opinionista Graham Young came out on Brisbane Radio, on ABC Radio in Brisbane, to defend the government's actions, saying that if you're not a heterosexual couple, then surely it can't arise. I'm sure he's talking about making babies. I think that's just a consequence in a, uh, of, of not being in a heterosexual couple or being barren. Thank you, Graham Young. He, um, he, he, shouldn't, uh, he shouldn't be an LNP activist. He should probably be like a scientist, um, I think, with, with good logic like that. But um, thankfully, he clarified his position by releasing a brand-new campaign. I'm a surrogate mother, and nothing gives me more pleasure than bringing a miraculous new life into this world to give to a new set of parents who wouldn't otherwise be able to enjoy the precious gift of a baby. The greatest gift... But how do I know those parents are the right parents? Luckily, I have Graham Young's parental surrogacy legitimacy test. Question one, are you gay? Question two, are you single? 
Question three. Can you be sure you're even a single heterosexual person and not just one gay? Question four. Do any of these words describe you? Faggy, poofter, confirmed bachelor, queer, gaybo, limp-wristed, desolute, man's man, scoutmaster, twink, bear, prince, leather daddy, or gale force wins? Question five. So you're sure you're not gay? Question six, how do you feel about interior design? Question seven, are you just trying to trick me into thinking you're not gay? Question eight, well, if you're not single and you're not gay, can you confirm that you, together with your heterosexual partner, engage in genuine heterosexual sex, the kind that makes babies? Question nine, will you be willing to prove this by demonstrating that genuine heterosexual sex or the homosexual sex? Graham Young is nothing if not thorough. Then there are just a series of ten or so questions about how much participation you're comfortable with Graham Young having. Then four weeks after the test is administered, you receive a letter from him saying, if that didn't work, use cups don't deserve a baby. <laughs> Surrogacy. The greatest gift Graham Young can give. Irrational fear! Australia's Census 2012. Of the 1.9 million homosexuals in Australia, 48% identified as gay or lesbian, 11% identified as bisexual, and 41% identify Peter Slipper as the creepy old perv who keeps trying to hop in the shower with them. Lewis Hobber. Good evening. I'm a regular guy, just like you. I like a good sunrise. I like the smell of an open fire. And I think the world's greatest insult is offering to sell someone second-hand Ikea. I'm just like you, you're just like me, we're very much alike. That's how I know you don't like horse racing. Because I don't like horse racing. It seems to be very preoccupied with hats. And I think a sport is in trouble if its own commentators get more excited about nearby millinery. I also hate horse racing because it produced Tom Waterhouse, which means it's in some way responsible for Tom Waterhouse's TV ads. I wasn't born to wear the baggy green. I'm a Waterhouse. I was born to bet. Now, Bruce Springsteen, he was born to run. Even our Delta was born to try. But Tom Waterhouse was born to gamble. That's not a catchy ad slogan, Tom. That's a cry for help. Like saying, I was born to drink alone. Or I was born to masturbate in parks. Or I was born to kill people and cut off their face skin and wear it like a hat. So because I don't care about racing, I wasn't particularly taken with black caviar. I knew she was the greatest mayor of our generation, which would be impressive if I could name one other. <laughs> after Black Caviar's... Hey, after Black Caviar's 15th or 16th win, I thought, you know what'll impress me? If she stops winning races I've never heard of and wins either the Melbourne Cup or the Tour de France. <laughs> caviar v Cadell. He's a cyclist, so he's probably taking enough drugs to kill a horse. Let's see if he can beat one up the Pyrenees. But then I realised why our country had fallen in love with black caviar. Black caviar is an inspiration for young Australian women. I think it's fantastic that she's our country's highest paid female athlete. She's made more money than every netballer in history combined. But then pretty much everyone has. I think commentators are excited about Black Caviar because she can't talk. As a sports person, that's not unusual. 
But a female who doesn't talk is a must-have for any commercial network's commentary team. Particularly with the Olympics coming up. She's the only person in the country who could stay silent during a Bruce McAvaney lecture on the proud history of synchronised diving. But there's more to that to our love of the black calf. Sure, she's a winner. But what I really think sets her apart from all the other sporting heroes is that she's the first in history of Australia with absolutely no chance of getting involved in a scandal. Unlike rugby league players, black caviar is unlikely to smash a glass into a girlfriend's face. Firstly, not many people are going to trust a horse with a glass. But also, I don't think she has a girlfriend. If a horse took a dump in the corridor of a hotel on tour, the only question people would ask is, who let a horse into the corridor of a hotel? Horse racing has no sex scandals, which is impressive for a sport that uses whips, leather, and has a designated mounting yard. In other sports, the closest thing to a mounting yard is the Olympic Village. There are no sex scandals in racing because the reward for becoming a successful horse is being whored out to a stud when you retire. Trainers queue up their stock and pay you to have sex. It's, it's how all retirements would work if sport was run by Shane Warne. But what I really love about Black Caviar is that she won't disappoint you by being one of those sports stars who stays alive too long, serving as a grim reminder of forgotten glory and faded youth, like how I see Warwick Kappa. No, Black Caviar will die young, beautiful and having heaps of sex at a stud, like how Warwick Kappa sees himself. You... Me, we're very much alike. We are Australians, and Australians love sport. It's the glue that holds our nation together. And so I think it's perfect that our greatest sporting hero is one who will one day, anyone, become glue. Lewis Hobart, following up, Chris Taylor. Uh, yes. Is there anyone here who didn't see that glue punchline coming? I saved it to the end. Come on. I'm about to do five minutes of glue material as well. <laughs> um, I take a uh, slightly opposing view to Lewis. I, I do think Lewis has done an admirable job in painting uh, Black Caviar as some kind of positive role model. And I especially commend Lewis for getting through your entire piece without doing an inappropriate Molly Weldon reference. So every other rational fear. <laughs> oh, always... once! Once! <laughs> you fuck one, goat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Still that, waiting for that Molly Meldrum that reference. Yeah. education coming back to haunt you. But let me just say, you can't just compare Black Caviar to sports bad boys and conclude ipso facto that she's a hero. I mean, next to Grant Hackett, even the Comancheros look like well-behaved men. So I don't think that's where we should be setting the bar when it comes to assessing our sporting champions. Let's instead look tonight, on behalf of the negative team... <laughs> I do feel like I'm doing a cheesy school debate. We forgot to define Black Caviar. I know. Yeah. I define black as Negro. <laughs> Let's look instead at Black Caviar's achievements. What has she actually ever done? Sure, 22 wins from 22 starts sounds good on paper until you realise that most of those wins were against some of the weakest fields ever assembled with sick, crippled nags dragged from their deathbeds in the horse flu ward at St Vincent's just so the preening mare had something to race against. It's pretty much the horse equivalent of Usain Bolt racing against the cast of the Golden Girls. Even a pommel horse could have, been, could have beaten most of these fields. Now, Lewis said the Black Caviar earned just over $6 million in prize money. That might sound like a lot of money to you and me, but to put that in perspective, that's what Alan Kohler now makes in a single morning. 
That's what Gina Reinhardt's made just since I made that obscure old reference to the Golden Girls. Black Caviar would have to win at least two billion more races if she's to get anywhere close to Gina Reinhardt's kind of wealth. But is she likely to do that? No, because she's lazy. Even her name is lazy. Black Caviar. It's a redundant tautology. Unless there's some kind of fluoro-green-coloured caviar that I'm unaware of, I'm pretty sure that most caviar is black. So calling a horse Black Caviar is as tautological as calling a horse Newtown Lesbian. Or unemployed journalist. What's more, horse racing's a sport riddled with the worst kind of elitism. Saturday's meet at Royal Ascot was attended by the Queen herself. That's right, the Queen, who during the recent Diamond Jubilee celebrations did nothing but look at horses trotting up and down for four whole days. She decided she needed a day out the races to look at more fucking horses. Still, you can't really blame her. For someone who has to dine with Camilla Parker Bowles several times a week, the sight of horse shit in the mountain yard probably comes as welcome respite. The Escott Carnival was mired by racism, though, as horse racing so often is. Just as Hitler did to Jesse Owens at the Berlin Olympics, the Queen refused to shake hands with Black Caviar after the win on account of her being black. Is this really the example we should be setting, Lewis? To me, Black Caviar is a good horse, but not a great one. In an age of increasingly loose language, can we really call her a champion? Has she ever sailed solo around the world? No, she hasn't. Has she ever even talked about being the first horse to sail solo around the world. Her ambitions are very limited. Has she ever won the Bathurst 1000? No, because she can't even drive a fucking car. That's how useless she is. She's useless because all horses are useless. Has a horse ever won the Nobel Prize for Literature? Has a horse ever won an Academy Award or made their own hit HBO comedy series? Oh, yes, sorry, Jessica. Sorry, Jessica Parker, how's your actually done that? He went there. He went there. there. I actually agree with Lewis when he says the greatest service Black Caviar could do for this country is to melt herself down into a bottle of clag paste so that our nation's children can glue pictures of racehorses into their scrapbook to serve as a constant reminder that at the end of the day, these majestic creatures are completely and as utterly useless as Molly Meldrum on a ladder. (laughs) Chris Taylor! Now, it seems that Black Caviar has uh, maybe forced an early retirement because she suffered injuries at Royal Ascot. What would you what would you like to see happen to Black Caviar in her retirement, Toby? Well, instead of in her retirement, like it being kind of a way of making money by mating other kind of male horses with her, uh, having sex with Black Caviar could be a great form of disciplinary proceedings for AFL players. I think, you know, like that could be the price you pay. Like, hey, uh, no one's with me. Okay, cool. <laughs> I like Dog that you, wanking the horse. You're in Sydney. Don't mention I AFL. Was with you. That's the... I also like that you assume they wouldn't be into it. <laughs> Matt Keneally. Oh, I just can't relate to black caviar, like horses. Like, I can relate to Shane Warne, you know, I can understand him. He was this guy, if it weren't for cricket, would be on one of those party it's bosses. It's the hair, isn't it? Yeah, he'd be yelling at you from the street, and now he's some bogan prince. It's just, I, I can relate to it. Are we too easily distracted by our sporting heroes, uh, Matt O'Con? Uh No. Good answer I like sport And it's not a distraction It's Actually it is a distraction Yes It is It's a distraction From the rubbish That is going on in life And it's a good way To forget about What really Is happening It's, it's the opium of the masses Yeah, yeah it's, it's just a way To relieve tension 
It's a, it's a thing to do to people so that we don't commit crimes and, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, you know, yeah, commit crimes and kill people and rape people and Rehab. stuff. It's like... It is a problem that most of those crimes and rapes are being conducted by sports fans. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that's what... That's well, the, that's I mean. You've got to have a reward. Inflated reward fitness as well. And that, that's right. They that's can the run point. really what, yeah. what, what annoys me sort of the most is that we put so much, like, sort of talk into someone like... Something like Black Caviar, um, yet, like, people like Sally Pearson seem to go overlooked so often... I mean, she was like, she's won yeah. heaps of races overseas. White people have it really tough. You know? <laughs> but Well, she's going to be winning more. Surely, uh, Layla, you're going to be in London. Uh, wh- what can we expect from our Olympic athletes? What are, you, are you excited about this? I'm very excited. Sally Pearson actually won a r- little race in Belgium the other day in her be- best time of the year. And uh, she's beaten, her times have beaten all the other hurdlers in her class in the world this no, year. No. <laughs> well, but it's the same kind of time as Black Caviar and Ascot and the Queen. You've got to pick, don't you? You've got to pick Black Caviar or Sally Pearson. Can you bet on Sally Well, we should be able to bet on Sally Pearson. I think betting, gambling, uh, well, obviously that's the same thing. Sport, um, drinking. I, I, why are we so down on it? We're Australian. You know? Yes. Yeah. We should be allowed to do that stuff. That's what we built this great nation that's on. What, that's what we're entitled to as Australians. As privileged Australians, we're allowed to spend our money on horses and beer. Somebody rang me up and asked me to be a campaigner for Dry July. And I said, look, I'm sorry, I think this anti-drinking campaigning has gone too far. Lila, you must really regret... You must really regret that Peter Meekin works for the opposition. Yeah, a lot of our big drinkers have gone. The glory days are over. A rational fear. Coming soon to an Ecuadorian embassy near you. Hi, thanks for calling the Australian Consular Assistance Hotline. If you've been caught with drugs in Bali, please press 1 for advice on how to bribe an Indonesian judge. If you're being extradited on sexual assault charges but fear it's a vast American conspiracy to kill you, please press 2 to receive a tokenistic text message. If you're a lawyer in Libya arrested for sending coded messages to Gaddafi's family, please keep holding the line. Bob Carr will be there shortly. If you've robbed an American bank and taken photos of yourself with all the money, please hang up the phone as we don't offer any consular assistance to idiots. And finally, if you're ringing up about employment opportunities, we told you to stop ringing here, Mr. Rudd, as the position has been filled. Matt Keneally! Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to keep talking about sport and I think we can be too hard on our athletes sometimes, in particular when we get outraged. I want to start by talking about Nick Darcy and Kendrick Monk. I was recently asked to sign a petition to kick them out of the Olympic team because of a photo of them holding guns in a gangster manner. Now, I looked at this photo for hours trying to figure out why it was offensive. I felt I was looking at a magic eye puzzle. (laughs) I couldn't see what they'd done wrong. They just put it on their Facebook page. It's not like they signed a contract to promote guns. It's not like these kids sent this photo to the Herald Sun as part of some cunning PR plan to raise their unpopularity to that next level so they can finally qualify to be rehabilitated on Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) But the other... I always get get invited to get involved in these stupid causes. I don't know why. I got got a petition the other day to condemn the genocide in Syria... Now, like, I'm against genocide, 
But if I wanted to do something tokenistic and pointless, I would have joined the UN. <laughs> but the weirdest one I got was this petition to ban the Lingerie Football League from playing in Australia. Now, I didn't know what the Lingerie Football League was, it's women playing football in their underwear, until the people who were against it told me all about it. You know, and it appeared on the front page of The Age condemning it. And I just thought, man, who was that editor that thought this is front page material? You know, oh, women taking their clothes off from money from men. Hold the presses, we've got a bump master chef to page two. Four, six, seven, sixteen, and the lift out. But I thought I better check it out because maybe it is offensive. Maybe it is. You know, I better do some research. So I watched the LA Temptation play the Philadelphia Passion on YouTube. And can I just say, one, it is average football. Okay, at the moment, the United States does not have a long, enough lingerie footballers to produce an elite league. Secondly, it is atrocious pornography. Okay, really, it goes for two hours, no one gets nude. There's commentary. Commentary. Who's ever watched something erotic and thought, yes, needs more Ray Warren? Blind people. They, uh, they, I love it. I was thinking that. I was thinking that when I heard that. I thought, that's really going to ruin my Ray Warren joke. <laughs> and lastly, lastly, every time it gets hot and heavy, this man in black and white comes in, blows a whistle and says a safe word. <laughs> And as I re researched the women who were playing, and many of them were former playmates, models, exotic dancers, a few of them were athletes, and I thought, well, they seem to be having a great time, they're getting paid, they get to play a sport, and for many of them, it's the most clothes they've ever worn to work. <laughs> but apparently, they're being oppressed, and they don't know about it, even though their uniforms are exactly the same as the roller derby uniforms. But, of course, the roller derby players have done arts degrees. Which means they're allowed to make their own choices. I was watching this and I thought, why would I want to ban this from my country? Am I missing something? Did these players commute here by boat? And then someone said to me, Matt, what if you had a daughter and she wanted to grow up to play in the lingerie football league? And I thought, well, there's a few things wrong with that proposition. Firstly, I don't have a daughter, but even if I hypothetically did have a daughter, it would take me punching quite a bit above my weight. And even then, a minor genetic miracle for my clumsy gene to lay dormant for her to make it into the lingerie football league. But even if I had a daughter, sure, if she wanted to play... Fine, I want women to have choices. I'll be angry when other jobs which shouldn't be judged on appearance are judged on appearance. You know, come back to me when hospitals are advertising for topless doctors and geriatric nurses in G-strings. That would be offensive. You know, I, I want my daughter to grow up in a world where she has choices, where they're not hindered. What offends me is if I had a daughter born today, she'd grow up in a world where statistics show in the corporate world cleavage correlates with pay rise. She'd be growing up in a world where if you watch commercial television, you can only be a woman on a commercial TV if you're five foot ten, beautiful, white, and have agreed to a partial lobotomy. <laughs> no, seriously, watch commercial television. I think maybe the, the, the lobotomy might be going a bit a little far. <laughs> you you seem said... very nice. <laughs> like, but seriously, if you watch commercial television, it is an Aryan wonderland. 
I'm offended that if I had a daughter and she was a comedian and she went to Channel 10 with a situational comedy, they would say, we love it, you're great, but unfortunately our female comedy quota is filled by being Lara Bingle. So until lingerie football is government-funded and Olympic sport played within schools and the athletes are appearing on Weet-Bix boxes brandishing Kalishnikovs, I'm going to hold my outrage. Matt Keneally! I mostly agree with Matt, mostly. On tonight's show, Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous, we're going to hang out with Rapunzel as she lets down her hair. She sells seashells on the seashore, but are the shells that she sells seashells or pirated copies? We find out. And Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry. That's right, Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry, Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry, Lorry Oaks Investigates. And... We recap the highs and the lows from the first season of The Voice. Also, how good was The Voice? All that and the latest from The Voice tonight at 6.30, right before The Voice. Australian Census 2012. Of the 680,000 people who identified as unemployed, 14% come from migrant backgrounds, 12% come from Indigenous backgrounds, and 74% of them used to work for the Australian media. What the papers say. Tomorrow's news tonight on Nightlife. You're starting off with the new look tabloid Sydney Morning Herald. Um, the five most sexy professions, and they're not what you might think. Yeah, that's right, Tony. At five with geological surveyors. Number four are truck drivers. Number three, fitter and turners. Number two, miners. And the top sexiest job may be a bit of a surprise because it's a hybrid job. Renewable energy? No, by hybrid I mean two jobs. Mining magnate slash media mogul. And a new recipe for Australia's tastiest rock cakes has been uncovered. Yeah, that's right, Tony. In the new book, Good Digging section, you'll find delicious new recipes for rock cakes, rocky road and sticky rock pudding. <laughs> and a new survey suggesting Australians are in favour of moving the capital from Canberra to Kalgoorlie. Yeah, as part of the WA government's new plan to move the capital to the place that generates the capital, most people surveyed thought that Kalgoorlie's super pit was a bigger hole than Canberra and were excited about the prospect that their politicians would be holding Parliament away from as many major population centres as possible. And moving to the Australian, uh, what's in the Oz tomorrow, Jeff Simpson? It's pretty much the same as the Sydney Morning Herald, but printed on bigger paper, Tony. A national Behavioural experts are stunned. Parents and police want answers, and three teenage girls may have ruined their reputations forever. Now, if you work in the media in Australia, there are very few websites that you pay attention to, mostly because they're generally owned by your competitors. So if they criticise you, they must be biased assholes. Um, but the folk at Mumbrella are, by their very nature, fiercely independent assholes. They run on the smell of an oily rag, and they're led by their super cyber editor, Tim Burrows. Give him a round of applause. Welcome, Tim Burrows. G'day, Tim. Welcome to the show. Come and take a seat. Come and take a seat. Um, 
Now, this afternoon, the editors-in-chief of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald and the editor of the SMH stepped down. This is going to be a great loss for Jonathan Holmes and the Media Watch crew who probably put their show to bed yet again before they missed out on another huge media story for the day. Uh, uh, what, what just happened today and, and why is this a big issue? Yeah, I think out of everything that happened last week, my favourite quote was Jonathan Holmes on Twitter, we don't do last minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see what went on tonight. So, yeah, today, and, it, and the weird thing was, after all of the dramatics of last week, the fact that three of the most senior editorial people in the country resigning, the, the editor-in-chief of the Sydney Morning Herald, the editor of the Herald, and the editor-in-chief of The Age, all, all, all going in one morning didn't seem quite as much of a shock as it might have done last week. So, Tim, another huge week. Tim, you forgot to mention the fourth most important person at Fairfax, Samantha Brett. Is she still there? <laughs> I, 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 I think so long as you know, she can uh, you know, cover more ground, perhaps. Yeah. You know, good, there's there's, good. there's plenty a... more opportunities there, I think. Excellent, thank you. Um, what does this mean in broader sense for you know, the state of Australian journalism and the fourth estate? Like, where, where is that kind of... Where, what have the job losses done for... For, for, across the board in news and Fairfax. I mean, some of it is, this has been in the post for 10 years, you know, it all feels like it all happened last week because that was when the announcements happened. It's been happening, you know, the, the revenue's been disappearing from papers, uh, the audiences have been going online, people have been buying papers less, so it, it, it's all been going on, but, you know, clearly what it means is we can't expect to see as much quality journalism because they can't afford to give it to us. Uh, well, speaking of quality journalism, um, you like to niggle at Fairfax and news all the time. It's, in fact, that's kind of your job. You must burden some responsibility for these job losses, you and Mumbrella. Surely. Yeah, I, I must be, I've never quite seen it that way. But perhaps, perhaps I've just been blind to that. But, yeah, no, I've chosen not to view it in quite those terms. But running a media website, uh, like running a news website like you do with Mumbrella, that would, that, that's kind of like running a newspaper, uh, but on a much smaller scale. Much smaller scale. <laughs> and you never get to say, stop the presses. <laughs> no, disappointingly not. That's, that's the whole reason people No, no, every media, now and then, sure. we, we, the closest we've ever come is, have you sent the email yet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what, what lessons can people who run, or the dinosaurs that run traditional media, learn from you? They are not dinosaurs. That's the thing, you know, we, you know, we kind of do it along the side of what else we do. We publish a magazine as well. It's hard. Publishing stuff in print is just hard. The model is changing. Most of these people aren't idiots, but I just wouldn't want to start where they're starting from. You know, they... There's all of that history piling up against them. I'd much rather start afresh than with, with, you know, with that expensive stuff behind me. So, would you say it's going to be a new business model that replaces newspapers? So the new, the new, the old dinosaurs won't evolve. Something new will replace them in the next twenty years. And the problem is, we don't quite know what yet. You know, you can look overseas and say you've got the likes of, you know, the Guardian, for instance, who's, who's done all this amazing publishing, this amazing sort of, you know, free to the world content, but isn't really making a bean. You know, they're, they're, their audience loves them. Or you're seeing people in other parts of the world. You know, the, 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 you know, Rupert Murdoch's Times in the UK, for instance, going for the paywall model, not necessarily proving it to work yet. So. So no, no one quite knows. A model will emerge and has to emerge, but uh, you know it's a bit of a mystery what it will be and what the products will look like at the end. I don't think we'll get everything that we get now. That's the truth of it. Toby, can I just congratulate you first on starting off with jokes about high court decisions and then moving on to business models. You are the sexiest man on this panel. 
Last week, Mumbrella ran a piece from a PR uh, person from Mango PR, and uh, she obsessively wrote that uh, that because journalists were losing their jobs, it would be heaps easier to get their PR into into traditional media. Now, at, at the time, it was seen as a bit insensitive. Uh, do you think uh, running that piece was insensitive, or do you think that journalists should have thicker skins? Yeah, oh, well, but both of those things. Yes, journalists should have thicker skins, and you know we're we're massively coddled as journo's, you know. And then when 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 it kind of pokes back at us, we're not terribly good at taking it. Uh, from us, I mean, I you know, I, I I try and publish opinions that I don't necessarily agree with, and that would probably be be one of them. But I'd I'd very much champion the rights of people to drive great traffic to my website. <laughs> Well said, Tim. Well said. Now, um, I may have a bit of an insensitive question for you, Tim, um, but I think it's an honest question. Well, that's good. Um, you're such a force in the digital sphere, and you, you blog, and you do videos, as well as the website. Do you think you would have been able to cut it in traditional media? Um, because, you know, you talk funny. Uh, <laughs> well, is, is my question. So, so uh, that's... Somewhere deep in the bowels of the BBC is an audition tape, and it's not, it's not good. I, uh, I can still remember, it's 15 years ago, I can still remember the trainer saying, normally I say to people, be yourself, but in your case, and this, I'm not making this up, she said, in your case, um, don't be. I love that question. What, what would you ask Lee Lin Chin? <laughs> well, I think, it's a, I think it's a pretty honest question. Uh, and, uh, well, I, would, well, I was wondering maybe if you'd like to have a go uh, uh, Layla's got a script here that she's brought in from a current affair. Uh, oh, it's probably not from a current affair, is it? It's probably from somewhere else. Uh, maybe you could give. Maybe you could give it a go. Read it out in the in the form of uh, just a straight read. That would be um, an absolute uh, so pleasure. So just, just uh, start uh, here. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, start yes, from yes. there. Yeah, no, this is um, and this is a good business model. If I was looking for a cure for Fairfax, then this is the website that I would buy. <laughs> Porn for the Blind presents Well Hung Parliament. This is a one hour clip located at http colon forward slash forward slash www.aph.gov.au. The clip takes place against a eucalyptus green background. On the left, there is a bubble butted redhead. On the right, there's a fit man in speedos, so I think he must be the pool cleaner. They are partaking in oral discourse. A man in an HSU shirt is there, but I'm not certain if he's doing anything. We'll have to wait and see. An Asian-looking woman has entered the chamber. She appears to be a lesbian, but is thus far on her own. A respectable man wearing a Kevin Blow 7 t-shirt has just entered the chamber. Let's just repeat that, he's just entered the chamber. He's trying to get in on the action, but no one is paying any attention to him. I'll just fast forward to the end. The chamber is now filled with men wanking themselves off. This has been a Porn for the Blind presentation of Well Hung Parliament for the Federal Government Canberra. Tim Burrows speaking. Tim Burrows, thank you. Well, before we say goodbye, we want to leave you with what you should be scared about next week. Here is Matt O'Kine with next week's Fearsome Fears. Ladies and gentlemen, next, uh, next week's Fearsome Fears, fear number three. Aftershocks will be felt in the Melbourne CBD as every comedian in the country dies for the same stupid earthquake joke. Fear number two. Leading on from the late news and breakfast, Channel 10 launches the 3.45am project, hosted by reality TV stars from the act show The Shire. And, of course, interviews from Dan Illick crapping on about social media. And... 
And fear number one, in Mitt Romney says he will support the fossil fuel industry by declaring the sun is gay. That's it for Irrational Fear. Please thank our guests. Irrational Fear is produced by FBI Radio. Dan Nash, Tom Lowes, written by Lewis Holber, Alice Fraser, Chris Taylor, Seton K. Smith, Jess Wenlow, Claire Hooper, James Colley, Dave Lucy, Mark Humphreys, Dylan Bean. Special thanks to our guests, Toby Allegan, Matt Keneally, Matt O'Kine, Jennifer Wong, Lewis, Taylor, Lewis Hobber, Chris Taylor, and our very special guests, Tim Burrows and Layla McKinnon. Shout out to the boss of FBI Social, Kimberly Gausser, and our boss, uh, Caroline Gaze. Follow us at Irrational Fear on social media. Remember, there's always something to be scared of. John Deeks not speaking. According to the overall data collected, 76% of Australians say they actually don't give a f about statistics. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.